It's been a blessing and a pleasure for me to see your beautiful faces every week, and it really is motivating to me to see how much you guys want to come with hunger to learn more and to grow. So thank you for that. That's, that's really a blessing. And we will pray, and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for one more night here. Thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for our health. And we bless Mickey, who is recovering outside. And um, I trust that she'll still be here soon. And I just ask for your strength and your healing to cover her. Thank you for what you're doing in her life and in all of our lives, Lord. We, um, we just give you this next hour and a half. And Lord, as always, we come seeking and we want to know more about you. We pray that you would open our eyes to see all the wonderful things you want us to recognize tonight. We pray for our minds to be guided by your Holy Spirit and for my mouth to be guided by your Holy Spirit and that we would encourage each other as we go through this wonderful letter written by John, inspired by you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight is the conclusion to First John, in case you weren't sure if you've been gone and wondered. So we only have a few verses to go through, and then we're going to kind of do a summary of the whole thing, and then we'll move on to Second John next week. So the first verse that we're starting on tonight is 13. If you are using notes or your Bible or both. And verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What were these things John wrote that would give us this assurance that we know we have eternal life? Well, they were the last two verses we read last week. So, if you don't remember, I wrote them. You don't have to go backwards. I put them back in here for you. Okay? Verse 11 and 12. This is the testimony. And if you remember, they were saying, John was saying, the testimony that God gave. And his testimony is greater than a person's testimony, right? This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You can't put it any simpler. I think the most I have picked up from going through 1 John this time is how he just likes to set things as plain as day, doesn't he? And he'll say it both ways, the positive and the negative. If you have the Son, you have the life. You don't have the Son, you don't have life. And he makes it very clear. So the only question is, if that's how you know you have eternal life, how do you know you have the Son? How do you get the Son? How do you have the Son? And I just, I know we probably know the answer to this, but just to make sure, I gave us some verses. It's basically believe, receive, and confess is what he asks us to do. So just for a review, we've looked at these verses, most of them before. 1 John 1, 12, 
I mean, not first. Regular John, Gospel of John, one twelve. That's the one where he says, to all who receive, who believe in his name, that's who he get, he's given the right to become children of God. Acts 2.38 is Peter's first sermon. That's where he says, when they said, what do we do? After he tells them that they killed Jesus, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for forgiveness of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Very, very simply. 1 John four fifteen. we did that here. I don't know that one by heart, but I can look it up real quick. Anybody got it faster than me? 4.15. I have it. Okay. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So that was the acknowledge. And that verse, actually, that word acknowledge, (laughs) translates confess publicly. That's why I put that. Acknowledge in front of people, confess publicly. And then I put Revelation 3.20, which we haven't talked about. And some people don't like to use for evangelistic purposes because Jesus is talking to the church. But that's where he says, if anyone, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. Boy, (laughs) we got some contagious sneezes going around tonight. It's fine. So the reason I put that one on there was because basically if you open the door, if you ask for Jesus, if you want him, he says, yes, I'll come in. You don't have to wonder, am I good enough? Am I going to have him or not? So basically, it's very easy to believe, receive, and confess. And you can know that you have the son. And if you know you have the son, you know you have eternal life. And this seems like maybe a simple thing, but you know how many people in the church, if you ask them if they know if they're saved or not, don't. I don't know. I hope so. Maybe if the good outweighs the bad, but that's not what the Bible teaches. You have the son. doesn't matter the good outweighs the bad because we don't even recognize all the good and bad in us. He sees Jesus And that is how we know that we have that relationship, which is eternal life, which means we get to live with God in heaven someday very soon. Okay. And knowing that we have the son gives us confidence to approach God. Does that make sense to you? Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, since we have such a great high priest who is Jesus, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. You may have heard that verse before. Look how much it ties into our very next verse in 1 John. This is 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now that can be hard to believe. Do I really know that I have whatever I've asked just because he hears me? What do you guys think about that? 
Have you ever asked anything and not gotten it? So what is the key word in this verse? According to his will. will. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. And I put several other verses um, from the Gospel of John that speak to the same thing about being able to ask, and he will give you. And it always, always is in his name or according to his will that that's how we know that we have it. But we can also ask for things if we're not sure if they're in his will. And I think I put James, yes, at the end of this one. James says sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. So I figure if there's something and I'm not sure if his will or not, well, I can ask. Right? And then I'll knock out the possibility of not getting it for not asking. But we do, what we do is we submit to him. And I think of Jesus in Gethsemane and Paul with his thorn. And interestingly, Seth mentioned both of those in his sermon this past Sunday. But those were two things that men of God, one actually God, asked for and didn't get. But they were submitted to God's will. So we can ask for things that we don't always get, depending on his will. But there's other things we can be sure we get. Is there anything that you know that you're sure you can get if you ask for it? Eternal life, salvation, first one. That's the one I usually think of is wisdom because there's a verse that says, if anyone asks for it, God will give it generously to anyone who asks. Somebody over here said Holy Spirit, same thing. He says he will give the Holy Spirit. So there's some things we don't have to wonder because we know that they're in his will. What about 2 Peter 3, 9? It says... It is the Lord's will that he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Does everyone in the world come to repentance and not perish? So how do we, how do we, you know, understand this if it is God's will, but it doesn't happen? Exactly. God Even God doesn't get everything he wants because he has chosen to give us free will. So then comes into all kinds of questions that we don't understand what goes on behind the scenes in the big picture. And that's why we have to trust him. His nature is good, always good. Remember when we defined love, that he is love. So everything he does is out of love. His ways are higher than our ways. That verse helps me. He sees everything that we don't see. And one day he will make everything right. So that's that's how those verses help me understand. But we can have a lot of confidence in approaching God and asking for things with faith. All right. Now, as we move on to verse... From verse 15 to 16, I want you to consider if there's a connection here. Because as I was going through this, I realized we just talked about asking and receiving. And this is John's next thought. If you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray. And God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. 
there is a sin that leads to death. And then my question here, is he talking about physical death or spiritual death that comes from rejecting God? And then John goes on. I'm not saying that you should pray about that, meaning the sin that leads to death. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Do you get your mind around that? (laughs) This is a little confusing, controversial, not controversial, but people have wondered, what is he talking about here? Okay? So first of all, let's just paraphrase so we know what he's saying. If you see a brother or sister committing a sin that does not lead to death, we don't exactly know what that is, but some kind of sin that doesn't lead to death, you should pray for them, and God will give them life. But then he clarifies, I'm talking about those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that does lead to death, and I'm not saying you should pray about that. But there is also sin that doesn't lead to death. So the big question is, what is the sin that leads to death? And which kind of death is he talking about? First of all, I want to point out the word pray in NIV. And I didn't look up um, this morning the ESV. So you can tell me if you have it. But the first use of pray, where it says you should pray and give them life, is this word Aiteo, which we talked about before, which means to ask, okay? And this kind of asking is from an inferior to a superior. This was, we talked about it in John 17, and it's praying or asking us to God that he would do something. And that's exactly what this verse is, asking that God would give them life. But the second use where it says, I'm not saying you should pray about that, he doesn't use the same word to ask. He uses the word for pray, which is praying on an equal level with someone. When Jesus prayed for us, this is the word that he used for praying. Uh, Equal level, he and God. And to be honest, I don't know exactly why he used those two different words, but I wanted to point out as we think through this that there is a difference in those two words. Does it say ask or pray in the ESV? The first time it says ask? And the second time it says pray? Okay. Because in the NIV it says pray both times. All right. Another key word in this passage is the use of brother or sister. Because it said if you see a brother or sister commit this sin, right? Because a true believer, would they be in danger of spiritual death if they committed a sin? Nope. Because if you're a true believer, if you're a brother or sister in that sense, then your sins are forgiven. So they're not going to be in fear of spiritual death, right? That means they are going to be in relationship with God for eternity. But they could be in danger of physical death, okay? And for that reason, some people believe these verses cannot refer, refer to spiritual death, that it must be physical death that they're talking about because if they're a brother or sister there is no danger of spiritual death. Does that make sense? Anybody have a question on that? Okay. And an example 
um, where you do see believers who are saved, but they are in danger and actually end up experiencing physical death because of a sin. That's in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 32. And this is the passage where he's talking about communion, the Lord's Supper. And I'll look at it here for you. Have you guys ever read this before? If you haven't read it, you're going to be surprised. If you have read it, then you'll know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to read you real quick, 27 through 32. Whoever eats or drinks, I mean, eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. In some versions, it just literally says died. Okay? But when... Let me see. Did I want to read more? But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So this example, are you understanding? Are people who are saved, they won't be condemned in the final judgment, but they died. Because of their sin of disrespecting the Lord's Supper. Did you see that? Some of you are weak and sick, and some of you have actually died because of this. So, that's one example that sometimes the Lord's discipline is physical death. I think sometimes he thinks it's better to take you out of the world if you're just causing too many problems. (laughs) But you don't lose your salvation. And that's what some people think that this passage is talking about. But now we're moving on. Others think the term brother or sister is used more loosely to refer to anyone in the church, even though they may not be a true believer. Like, specifically, those who have left to follow a different belief. All throughout this letter, you remember John's been talking about a group of people who left. Remember, they got some new revelation, supposedly, about Jesus, and they have gone out to believe a different message somehow. And so he said, they don't belong to us, because if they belong to us, they would have remained with us. So basically, they're not true believers who are following the true Jesus. But they may still call them brothers and sisters because that's what they were used to them being, okay? So if this is the case, then this passage may very well refer to the sin of unbelief being the sin that leads to death, which is the only sin that cannot be forgiven because it rejects the very means of forgiveness. Yes, Vanessa? Remember this, 
Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Yes. So, so anyway, I'm not telling you which one it is, but those are the two ways people have talked about interpreting this, this passage of the sin that leads to death. Okay? But just to keep that in your mind as we move on, because I think it's interesting, after what I just talked about, that the very next verse reminds us some facts about what really is a true believer. We know... And I'm telling you which kind of no, because in English, we use one word for no. In other languages, there's more than one kind of knowing. This one is, we know, meaning perceiving with the mind. The kind of no, like to know a fact. If you know Spanish, this is saber. And then later on, it's a different word. So we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. He's told us that before, right? The one who was born of God, that's Jesus, keeps them safe. And the evil one cannot harm them or literally touch, lay hold of, or attach himself to them. Isn't that nice to know? Satan, or by implication, any one of his demons, cannot attach himself to one who is born of God. And you know that you are born of God if his seed is in you and you have the son. Because we know that. We just talked about that. We know we have eternal life. So Satan cannot attach himself to you. He can sure try to bother you and mess with you, but he can't touch you, harm you. And John is saying basically they were kept by Jesus and protected from Satan by him. It sounds to me very similar to what we read in John 17, where Jesus prayed, Holy Father, protect them. Or in other versions, keep them in your name. While I was with them, I kept them safe, Jesus said. But then he asks, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Same kind of idea. So we know Anyone born of God doesn't continue to sin. We're kept safe. The evil one can't harm us. We know, verse 19, that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know still what we know, facts in our mind, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Okay? Why has he given us understanding? So that we may know, now this know is the different, different word. This is ginosko, which in Spanish is conocer, know him who is true. And in English, it's the difference between knowing a fact and knowing a person. So like, I know that this is true, but I know my husband. I know what he's like, I know what he thinks, what he most of the time what he thinks, what he likes to eat, what he does, okay? And to finish the verse, we know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And that is that long summary statement. If you remember the video on the first night that we looked at 1 John, he summarized it with this long 
sentence, which I love. We know this God who has come to give us understanding. We know we are in him who is true by being in his son. And he is the true God and eternal life. And then I just explained to you the difference of the two no's. And very simply, what he's saying is we are in relationship with God the Father by being connected through his son. Jesus is the true God and he is the only way to eternal life. And he says we are safe in his hand. John 10 says almost the same thing. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Isn't that a great passage? So you guys are safe in that hand. Final verse. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Have we been talking about idols this whole time? No. Where did this come from? If you think, it sounds like a PS, right? But actually, he is talking about who God is and how we are in him through Jesus, who he finishes by saying is actually God. And then he says, keep yourself from idols, meaning don't replace this amazing God with anything else. Now that you know who this God is and how you're in him and who Jesus is, don't replace him with something less than what he really is. And I gave you a whole quote from David Guzik because he explained the same thing. It says, this may seem like a strange way to end John's letter, but it fits in with the theme of a real living relationship with God. The enemy to fellowship with God is idolatry. Embracing a false God or a false idea of the true God That's what idolatry is. John rightly closes with this warning after having spent much of the book warning us against the dangers of the false Jesus many were teaching in his day. We can only have a real relationship with the God who is really there, right? So idolatry, whether obvious, like praying to a statue, or subtle, like living for your career or someone other than God, will always choke out a real relationship with the true God and will also damage our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. So no wonder John ends with keep yourselves from idols. This is how we protect our relationship with God. We keep him first and we don't replace him with anything else. I see a lot of people making notes, so I'm giving you a minute to finish. And then I just, I thought, found it interesting that this conclusion, starting with verse 13 through 21, look at the progression, because it kind of helps 
to answer some of our questions about what some of these things might have meant. He says, I want you to know you have eternal life. You can confidently ask God for anything in his will and know that you have it. You should pray for brothers and sisters who commit sin that does not lead to death, and God will give them life, but not for those whose sin does lead to death. We know those born of God do not continue to sin. Jesus keeps them, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know we are children of God, and the world is under control of the evil one. We know Jesus has come and given us understanding to know the true God. We are in this true God by being in Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. So, keep yourselves from idols. Did it help to see that progression kind of all together? It helped me. All right. So, my goal is to read the whole letter one more time like we did at the beginning. And then just summarize a few things. And I want you guys to have a chance to say what spoke to you from this letter. So, be thinking about that. And I don't know if I can read it in 20 minutes. It takes about 22 or 3 usually. So I am going to show you something I prepared for you before I read because someone has to leave early and I don't want them to miss it. So as we prepare to read, first let me show you this. The reason, what we just talked about, um, about God, not, nobody being able to snatch us from God's hands, and that over and over he calls us his beloved. Do you remember that? My dear children. In some version it is translated, my beloved. I kept thinking almost every time I prayed for you guys, the song, You Are My Beloved. Do you know that song? No? Okay. So it says, you're my beloved. And it also says, your names are written on my hand. So I wanted to play this song for you.
Yes. Yes. So I hope I didn't miss anyone. Um, and that's okay. That's the same song. I thought maybe it was starting again. Um, so anyway, that just makes me want to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for writing our names on your hand and that we are engraved and that no one can snatch us out of your hand. And I pray that you would engrave that image in every woman's heart and mind when the enemy tries to come and speak any kind of lies and discouragement that we would remember who we are in you, that we would remember how much you loved us. And as we're getting ready to reread this whole letter and encounter words like, we love because he loved us first. And this is what love looks like, Jesus dying for us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the reminder that we are your beloved. We are the one that you love and the one that knows us the very best is the one that loves us the most. So as we read, I pray that you would give us the attention span that we need to stay connected to stay engaged for five chapters, which I know can be difficult, but I pray that you would help us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us as we read your word and maybe even show us something new we didn't recognize as we went through it the first time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... I'm going to read, and as we did the first time, if you were here the first time, you can have a pen and paper ready if that helps you stay focused. You can make a note. You can have your own Bible out if you want to underline certain things. And then I'm going to ask you what stood out to you this time. But sometimes it just hits you different, especially when you read the whole thing from beginning to end. And we're trying to increase that stamina that we can read Long portions. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have looked at with our eyes, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live or walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is... The truth, the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. It's seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life 
comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the anti-Christ, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone born, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. 
because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God. And you have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. 
And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world this is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith who is it that overcomes the world only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God this is the one who came by water and blood Jesus Christ he did not come by water only but by water And blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three 
are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. You know what? The first week, a lot of people had trouble because I look and I can see people distracted or yawning or doing different things. And tonight, it looked like you all had better stamina to really stay focused while you were listening through the whole letter. I don't know if it's true, but that was my perspective, so congratulations. All right. I have a few summarizing points, but I want to hear what stood out to you just now as we went through there. Selena? Yeah. And um, confidence in God. Um, because when I think of, um, especially assurance and salvation, when you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you have people in church that are like, well, I hope I get in. Yeah. You know, and it's easy to get there because you're always trying to perform, thinking that you have to perform to get there. And I just think that throughout this chapter, um, well, this, yeah, this chapter that John is. Like pointing his finger, look. <laughs> I know. God has you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You're His. You're His. You don't have to worry about that. 
Good. You know, and it just gives you that assurance because it's just over and over again. He says it the same thing. He says it over and over. Right. Good. Good. Anybody else? Yes. That's okay. We're happy to have them. <laughs> we love you. Yes. So I had them to write notes while they were sitting there. Okay. So they did one side light, one side darkness. Uh-huh. They just made a list of different things um, that were just light and darkness. So well, were boys, were you here when I did that? Or did you do that on your own? They remember you doing it. Okay. Good job. So that's what John does. He shows light and darkness, good and evil, and constantly saying, You're, you can't be on both sides. If you claim to have fellowship with God, but you're also walking in darkness, that doesn't work. It doesn't compute. It's not consistent. So, yes, that's exactly what John is saying. But if you know that you are in the light, that you do belong to the sun, you don't have to worry about death and the things on the side of darkness or that the evil one's going to get you because no you are kept safe in him thank you good job anything else elizabeth i think um, just what you said but in my in my way of thinking um it was talking about at the end keep yourself from idols mm-hmm today in this world there's so much that's coming before Christ and we are easily succumb to it mm-hmm. and for me keeping true even though it might be hard even not even when it may cause conflict mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Don't feel like a fish in and out of water. <laughs> and that's that's that is my thing is to stay in truth. I'm gonna repeat that to make sure anybody listening can hear it, because you're probably a little bit too far from my mic. So stand on the truth, mm-hmm. know who you are, mm-hmm. stay there, and you don't flip flop back and forth. Very good. I think you're right. I think that's what John is saying. Know the truth. Stick with the truth. Yes, Vanessa. I appreciate how um, he simplifies what the message is. Mm-hmm. God is light. God is love. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you have that and you're focused on him, you won't be led astray. Yes. Yes. Suzanne.
like Samad, for me to be was just to abide in him. Abide. Remain. Yes. Very good. Nancy. I um, have very black and white clarity now as far as who are believers and who are not. Because um, I've struggled with that because you hear all this, it's like, oh, well, they're doing this and they're, you know, that's good and, and whatnot. Well, it's very, very black and white. And I really appreciate that he wrote that way. Hmm. Because my mind tends to think black and white, but the world is likes to live in the gray. Yeah. Like, well, yes, I confessed, and yet they live this way. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, that wasn't a true confession then. So I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you very much. Even though it's hard. It is hard. Can I say something? You can. You know, I work from home, and the day I was working, and I don't know where the electricity went off. Okay. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, it's dark in here. <laughs> but for some reason, one of my monitors stayed on, and that light was so bright. And I started to think about some of this. Mm -hmm. The world is dark, and it had no concept how it actually happened. And one light can make a big difference. And one light, but it's kind of like the electricity went off. I don't know how it happened. Mm -hmm. Maybe it occurred or whatever, but that's like the world. Darkness just comes, mm. and we don't even know it's coming. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, bam, it's there, but the light is still on. The light is there. And when it says God is light, do you remember? In him, there is no darkness at all. That's my favorite part. At all. Yeah. Two, two things stood out to me that were new this time around. The definition of lawlessness stuck out to me. I know it wasn't something that he hit on over and over again, but it hasn't left me. And I don't know if you guys remember when we, when we looked at that, yeah, that's Jenny. What, that's through the whole book. That was the one thing, oh, the biggest thing, I think. It seemed kind of random, but just that whole concept of lawlessness and then that um, you said tradition identifies it as an attitude that defies God, pursues selfish interests, and is devoid of faith and love. Um, it is an attitude that defies God, pursues selfish interest, and is void of uh, faith, and love. faith and love. Thank you. I wanted to make sure. It's something that we can identify in ourselves yeah. easily when you think about it like that. Right. And the difference between sin, which can be something that you fall into, that you react, and then you confess and repent and get back on, but an attitude of rebelling against God or not wanting to have that authority in your life is different. That's lawlessness. And I started to pick that up in myself. Really? Wow. You know, just uh -huh. here and there things happen. Mm. It comes over just in the moment that I've started to realize 
is there. Wow. So that was really okay. helpful to me. Thank you. Yeah, I, I see um, lawlessness too, like, you know, when you're watching the news and you just see how bad the world is turning, you know, and people don't care, you know, they have, and, you know, and we can even remove, while it's very important, um, the war that's going on, but just looking at what's happening in our country and how, you know, these kids and, you know, what have you are just going crazy doing things that are just unheard of. Yep. It's an attitude of, yeah. I don't have to submit to any authority. I see that, the lawlessness behind that, and it just mm-hmm. blows my mind. And that is what is behind the spirit of Antichrist, which is not a person. It's just the spirit of lawlessness, which is what he's called the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. So, Yes, it says the love of most will grow cold. Yes. And it's it can make you, you know, like, upset, angry, but it makes me sad because those people are not our enemies. They're lost. They have not been able to come to the understanding of truth or that submitting to God is a beautiful thing. And so they don't have the peace and the love and the joy that they're looking for. But anyway... I need a, I still want to have a few minutes to go over a couple of things, but is there anything else that stood out? Yes, Piper? Something I'd say is um, in chapter 2, the verse that says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live, abide in him, must live or walk, walk. as Jesus did. Yes. And you put Jesus walked in reverence and mission. It just made me question if I do that. And then, you know, as a new wife learning how to submit to a husband as well, like, you know, learning those things, and then it kind of convicted me that I probably don't do that like I need to, so it has been challenging for me, but good. Wow, thank you. She speaks boldly to her new mother. Sweetly, sweetly. Oh. Yes, very, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. Reverent submission would be the exact opposite. And the difference is trusting in your authority. The reason that I'm willing to submit, not that I do it perfectly, but is because I truly believe he knows what's best. He's always good. And so you're, you're willing to submit to somebody like that, right? Uh huh. If if you don't really know God or His character, it's very hard to trust, and that's where fear comes in, and that's why perfect love can drive out that fear, because you fear if you're not sure how you're going to be treated, right? But if you really know the nature of this person, you don't have fear of what He's going to ask you to do. You trust that it's going to be good for you, even if it's something hard. And the go ahead, Donna. 
Well, don't forget then, because I want to make sure you get yours. The last thing I was going to say, the other um, piece that stood out to me that I felt like hit home during this letter was the part about how we set our hearts at rest in his presence when our hearts condemn us. If you were here on that night, it was talking about, because I questioned, what does this mean if our hearts condemn us? And it was talking about the mind that has a guilty conscience that tells you you're not good enough, you haven't done enough, and tries to condemn us. But how do we set our hearts at rest? Knowing that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything, the good, the bad about us. And he still loves us so much. He engraved us in the palm of his hands. He died for us. He will continue to forgive and have mercy and pursue relationship with us. And so just that feeling of, okay, I don't have to listen to the condemning voice in my mind. Yes, I need to listen when the Holy Spirit convicts me, and repent and get back on track. But I used to spend too much time listening to the condemning voice. And I think that those of us who want to pursue God kind of have that tendency. So anyway, that was helpful for me. Donna. Well, I was just going to say that um, in the beginning of the class, she was talking about people that, uh, Christians that, were unsure of their salvation mm-hmm. when they really shouldn't be, but they were because mm-hmm. they didn't understand things. And but in this, on that what you was reading, what caught my attention tonight was I've talked to people, and you asked them, you get around saying, "Well, do you are you a Christian?" And they say yes. And I said, "Well, do you know Jesus?" And they say yes. You know, and all that, and they prevent. Profess to be a Christian, but according to John, if they know the Lord and they have a relationship, and the kind of relationship I'm asking them, do they have? Or mm-hmm. you saved? If you want to say that, and they and you know they're living in sin, then they really don't. Then you don't have to wonder because you know right then that they're not. That's a good point. So that's the other side of the coin, right. and that actually things. reminds. I want to go back to the. The things in here, what Nancy was saying about black and white, because he says, if you claim to have fellowship with God, which is what you're saying, oh, yeah, I know him, I walk with him, but you're very blatantly doing the opposite of what he commands, he says, then you're a liar. If you're doing all the things that you says that you want to inherit the kingdom of God, yeah. all those kind of the sins of the flesh. Because the one who has been born of God, who has that seed in him, Cannot go on sinning. Right. Doesn't mean that we never do sin, but, but we can't continue in a right. pattern of sin. Exactly. So he does call us. And if you remember, we talked about early on, he calls us to a very high standard. And he didn't lower the bar because we couldn't get there on our own. What did he do? He raised us up with Christ. And actually, Seth said that this weekend, too, and seated us with him in heavenly places. So that's just, I think, is beautiful. He didn't lower. He didn't say, well, you don't have to do everything right. He said, no, this is who we are. And since you can't get there, I'm going to raise you up with Christ and give you his righteousness. Woo! Okay, we can have a few minutes to share still maybe at the end, but make sure I get through this. 
I was going to review our handouts, but I'm not going to take the time to pull up my computer because I think it'll take a little bit. But let me just remind you to use those um, marks of a true disciple. We kind of talked about all that. What are the things that you'll see in a person who is truly walking with God? You want to just shout out a couple? They will walk like Jesus did. They will love. It wasn't in John, but you're right. That's part of, that's part of obeying his commands, right? Because it says you will obey his commands, and that's one thing that we're commanded to do. Abide, remain in him, remain in the original gospel message. Believing and acknowledging Jesus came in the flesh. Yes, it's someone who confesses. Mm-hmm. You can come before God with confidence. So anyway, help, as I went through, looking through each verse, is this, is this something that should show up in the life of a true disciple? Then the second one that we were filling out as we went was, this is how. And I ended up with, oh, I... 14, maybe? I don't know if we all got the same number, but where it says, this is how you know, or this is how you recognize, or this is how. Those I thought were helpful. Um, And then the third one were summary statements. And we all might not choose the same ones. And then the, uh, the first or last, whatever order you go in, was the cosmic battle, which is the two lines that the boys were talking about back here. Of the, of the different sides, and you can't be on both sides. The only time there was crossover was when? When you put the cross over it, Jesus was the only one who had no sin, but was made to be sin, right? So that we could have his righteousness, and he let us cross over from death to life. It's a one-way street. We're not going back. I like that. So those were the handouts that that we uh, hopefully were filling out along the way. And then just to summarize, if you could bring 1 John into two points. Because I like to be able to walk away with something that I can remember. Because all these lists, you probably can remember everything about it. But what does he say over and over again that you would consider hammering down into main points? I'll give you mine, but I want you guys to think about it too. And maybe you might say it in different words. I think of God revealed himself in two ways in this letter. As light and as love. And told us that he is revealed in those ways through Jesus. Jesus reveals God as light and love. And what does he want from us? I saw over and over again, believe the truth. He uses the word believe. Every time he said, this is what I want you to do. Believe, obey, because you can know it, you can believe it, but then it's putting it into practice. And love, over and over Love. So that's how I would summarize if I'm trying to remember God is light and love. 
He is revealed in Jesus. And what he wants from us is to believe the truth, obey his word, and love. And then the last thing I did, I didn't ask you guys to do this, but as I was going through, I was like, you know what? I was just noticing, do this and don't do this. And so I made a little list of the do's and don'ts. All right? So you got these in your notes. I started with the don'ts because it was shorter. <laughs> Don't, do not love the world. Do not let anyone lead you astray. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered. And do not believe every spirit. But do live in fellowship with God and others. Walk in the light. Confess your sins. Keep his commands, or in other words, obey his word. Love your brothers and sisters. And look how many verses, how many times he says that. Remain in him. That's also the same word, abide in him. And in the original gospel message. Believe in the true Jesus. Test the spirits. Pray for others and keep yourselves from idols. Those were every time he had a command that he would say specifically to do something. And then as a believer, this is true of you. Every time he said, you are this. And I was like, ooh, this is good for me to remember. Your sins have been forgiven. You know him who was from the beginning. That's Jesus. You have overcome the evil one. You know the Father also. You are strong and the word of God lives in you. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know the truth. I think I'm going to highlight that one. Your anointing remains in you. You know, in the Old Testament, the anointing of the Holy Spirit coming on someone was for a little while. Guess what? Your anointing remains in you, and you don't need a new or different kind of teaching. You are a child of God, and you will be like Christ when we all see him as he really is. You are from God and have overcome any unholy, evil, or lying spirits, however you want to call them. And the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So anytime you're facing a problem in the world, guess what? Just say, the one in me is greater. I have the victory. And then kind of those... those um, the summary I did just at the beginning of just the two ideas of who God is and what he wants from us, I turned them into questions so that I can ask myself as I, you know, move forward and I want to keep this letter in my heart and mind. The self-check is simply, am I believing what is true? Am I obeying what is true? And am I choosing to love like Jesus? Jesus.